morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, dear listener. Welcome to this here podcast where I talk to people from nowhere. I'm talking third culture kids, I'm talking cross-cultural kids, I'm talking nomads, and many, many more. Welcome to Floaters. My name is Sophia, and if it's your first time joining me, very, very warm welcome to you. If you're returning to the podcast, a hearty warm welcome to you. I am broadcasting live today from Radio Wardrobe, and I'm going to jump straight into the episode because, gosh, I I was so excited to speak to Belinda. We actually met at a mutual friend's birthday almost exactly a year ago to when we recorded our conversation, and I'd never met, other than my dad, I'd never met an adult TCK, if you will, like someone who'd had a sort of similar upbringing as myself. Um, And I just got so excited to talk to her that um, you'll notice in the conversation that my already posh accent just accelerated and got taken up about 10 notches. And I think it conducted the interview on my behalf. But uh, just if you ignore that, and there's a lot of waffling on my part, um, just ignore it because Belinda is just full of insight, so much wisdom and wonderful anecdotes. Plus, she's really lovely, which is always just the most perfect cherry on top. Um, So without further ado, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with the lovely Belinda. So it's very lovely to have you here, Belinda. Um, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) So for the beginning of the podcast, could you just tell us where you grew up? Oh, crikey, all over the place. Uh, My mother was Peruvian, my father British, but he was born abroad. He was the son of a diplomat. So I think we all managed to just scrape in with a British passport. Um, And he grew up traveling. My grandfather was a linguist. Uh, He he studied modern languages at Oxford, and I think he, he kept a list of all the books he read, and he read in 24 languages. Um, my father, only 12, and uh, to my shame, only three for me. So. <laughs> but, uh, and we grew up, oh, everywhere. I was born in Argentina, so I have three passports. Um, we then came to the UK when I was about six, which is when I learned English. Uh, and though I do, I must have known some English because I do remember standing up in the middle of my classroom in Patagonia and yelling shut up at the teacher in the full confidence that she wouldn't understand a word I was saying. And my next memory is standing outside on the swings on my own. So, um, yeah, I had a little English, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, then we went to Peru, onto the Bahamas, onto Ecuador, and then my father came back to the UK. Oh, sorry, in Moscow for two and a half years, in the middle of all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, a bit of everything. And how long were you stationed in each of those places, or did it vary? I think well, we were in various places in Argentina until I was about seven. Uh, then two years in England. Uh, Peru, we were there for about six months before we were moved on to Nassau. Nassau, about 
five years, five and a half years, the longest we lived anywhere. Um, then Moscow, two and a half years, and Ecuador, five years again. Oh, wow. And have you carried that into your sort of adult life as well, sort of changing in between houses or countries? I, mean, I don't actually tend to attach to houses enormously. It's, it's all about the paintings. There's always a particular painting that means home. Um, and the first thing I do on moving into a house is go and stick this painting up. Um, mm. And no, if anything, I'm sort of rather like a, a tortoise. I carry my stuff with me and, um, and it's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff from all over the world and not just sort of from growing up. It's every trip that I go, I try and bring something back. Mm -hmm. So it's ever more stuff. Yeah. from minimalism to maximalism yeah. you know I found that um after moving around so much as a kid as soon as I started to move into my own places um I realized I am a bit of a hoarder now I, I like to bring these things with me or I, I, I do hold on to things a bit more and whether it means something very little to someone else but it means a lot to me <laughs> all these little things yes I, I think it's in if you move around a lot you put your roots in people and in things, but not so much in places. You know, mm -hmm. the, the rest of it's all a great adventure. Mm -hmm. You're used to moving, so. Yeah. And so when someone asks you, where are you from? What do you end up saying? Oh, crikey. Um, um, I, short version, Anglo-Peruvian. Uh, <laughs> extra few seconds, born in Argentina, three passports. Um, yeah, I was thinking about this because I have this thought, you know, if I were to have my ashes scattered somewhere, where would it be? And uh, I think a bit in Lima, uh, a bit, uh, oh, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I think I'd give a bit to everybody who cared and then they could do whatever they want. But a bit in Lima. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you still have quite strong ties with um, your, your family in Peru. Yes, I go back every year. Definitely. At least once. At least once. And, um, and I have family in Argentina as well. Mm -hmm. And I see them every second year, every third year. But I need that... As I was saying to you before, I need, I feel like a slightly different person when I'm in Latin America. I'm, I think I'm more fun. I'm definitely much funnier. Well, people <laughs> laugh at my jokes more, perhaps they're more polite. Um, I, I just, there's something of me that's missing. On the other hand, it's the same here. I'm over there, I feel. I feel very Latin, but there is an English part of me that I'm quite aware of, and the other way, and vice versa. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, I don't ever feel that English. I do feel mainly Latin America, and I think my sister feels much more English. My brother, although he lives in Latin America, I think is fundamentally more English. Mm -hmm. I wonder why that is. I mean, do you think it's to do with where you've all sort of... Um pitched up your tents as it were or um uh i think actually it's to do with how long we spent in latin america and i think it's also to do with 
the fact as they went to boarding, we all went to boarding school at the same time. So when we were transferred to Moscow, we went to boarding school because there wasn't an English system, a British system school there. So we all went to boarding school and I was 12 going on 13. And, but my brother and sister were still in primary, so they went to prep schools. And they settled in really quickly, mm. um, whereas it took me much, much longer. I think my culture had become more set during that time. And I don't know whether it's also to do with the place in the family, as I think as the eldest, you can tend to cleave more to your parents. I'm not sure, honestly. I well, I, that sounds similar to um, my, my elder sister. So I'm, I'm the middle child, um, but my, my older sister, she, I think she had a bit of a shock when we first started going to school in the UK. And even things like the concept of uniforms and, you know, all these different classes you had to go to and, and even just the attitude of the, her, her peers, I think it was quite shocking for her. And I only sort of appreciated that later on in life when she sort of opened up about it a bit more. Because, of course, at the time she was just a moody teenager and she didn't want to talk about it. But, um, Where were yeah. you living at the time? Where were your parents living? We were, well, we were lucky in that our parents were in the UK when we started boarding school. And I think they did that strategically so that we could sort of be eased into it before then going all the way across to Colombia yes. for three years. And, um, but did you have to travel on your own um, to Moscow as well? Uh, yes, to all of the places. Um, we started off, I think my parents sent us six months, six months before they were transferred. So we used to have to do the British Airways uh, unaccompanied minors to our chagrin. It was mortifying. Yes, you stood there sort of like sheep and feeling far too old for this, far too worldly, and it's so embarrassing to hang out with the eight-year-olds. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we were all the unaccompanied minors and, and had to sort of trot along behind the very elegant hostess. Mm -hmm. yes. yeah. I know that feeling very well. <laughs> Did you have the same thing, the sort of slight mortification of, oh God. I guess we used to have these um, these pouches that they put on us with all of our boarding passes and things in and they sort of I grab it. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, I remember, yeah, we, we, we used to have, well, as soon as we could travel on our own though, we had our own routine down. We knew exactly how we wanted to spend our time in the airport because yeah. before then you're just sort of shuffled from boarding gate to boarding gate to, you know, and you're first on the plane, last off the plane. And yes. it's a very strange experience as a, as a small child, I think. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. And what's your relationship with the traveling now? Do you still like oh, it? I'm addicted. I'm addicted. Actually, I sort of, I need, I need that injection. I need the stimulation. I love going out and meeting new people. I need the different culture, um, the hot colors, the, but actually it can be anywhere. You know, we had a wonderful holiday in Stavanger. Um, I, it was fascinating to me to go back to Moscow a few years go and just see how different it was from when we were there under Brezhnev. Mm. Um, it's the only time that I've really appreciated 
advertising hoardings. They were so colorful because Moscow, when we were there, was just gray. Um, and now they had advertising hoardings and it was fabulous. Um, <laughs> But uh, no, I, I really, really love it. However, I'm uh, in this house. This is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. And um, I think I'd be okay packing up and moving on. Um, a bit of a wrench because I did the garden to look like a tropical paradise in sort of gloomy gray weather but we have banana trees and palm trees and hammocks um but actually no i i just love it i i I even love getting on the plane i don't understand the fear of flying um to get up sit somewhere i i haven't got over the it's not so much the fear of flying it's still to me such a miracle you get onto a plane, you sit down, you read a book, watch a film, you get off and suddenly the world around you has changed and it's amazing and fabulous and and so much to explore and see. I I still get enormous excitement and I think for me, the more you see of the world, the more there is to see. Someone will recommend somewhere else. I want to go to Ethiopia, Lalibela is really high on my list. Uh, I want to go back to Ecuador. Um, yeah, so many places. What about you? Well, um, it's interesting hear you, hearing you say that because I think I might be the opposite. I mean, not that I'm not curious about, I, I'm, I'm keen to travel, but I think it's because it's, I don't travel as often as I used to. So mm. the longer I leave it, the more anxious I feel about it. And I wonder mm. if it's to do with the, I don't know, I, I suppose because I, a lot of my traveling as a youngster was as an unaccompanied minor, I, I don't know whether I still associate the experience with sort of being dragged along and lots of waiting around. And um, I'm not sure, but I mean, I think if I did it more, I'd be more, yeah, I'd be more willing to keep going. I mean, I've decided that my new favorite mode of transport is by train. So, but you can get a lot of places by train. <laughs> yes, yeah. I think the getting there is part of the adventure, you know, whether you're driving, whether you're going by train or flying, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you don't see as much, but even then, I always like to sit out of the window. And the last trip coming back from, actually, I think we'd come via Bogota Airport, um, was coming over and seeing Lisbon. And it was such a clear day. And to be able, we flew over Bilbao and could identify it flew over Lisbon. That was just, again, amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really, I, I love it all. I love I mean, it all. That was always the most exciting part for me. It's whenever you're about to land somewhere. And I remember the first time actually flying into um, Bogota and seeing all the mountains and yes. all the trees covering the mountains. And it was so beautiful. And I'd never seen anything like it before. And I, we must have really embarrassed my parents, actually, because <laughs> we were jumping up and down and running from the, each window to the, the next window. And um, it was so exciting. It was so exciting. And with, with jet lag and things, I was, um, by the time, I suppose, yeah, going that way around from London, well, London, Paris, and then Bogota, um, I was always wide awake as soon as we got there, as soon as I arrived home. And um, I just have constant verbal diarrhea as well, because I think I was just in overdrive and um, yes. before eventually crashing, just because I was so excited. Yeah, 
No, it's brilliant. It's it's lovely. But aren't you curious about different places? Don't you? Would you like to go back to Bogota? Oh, definitely. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to go back. I think it's just the traveling that worries you. I think it's the traveling now. Um, just and it's purely for the fact that I don't really do it as much. I think the last time I went on a plane, well, actually, to be fair, it was just before the pandemic. I went to Germany to see my grandma. Um, I mean, that's only two and a half hours, though. It's not, you know, the old 14 hour <laughs> flight yeah. anymore. Um, but um, for example, I mean, when I went to. So, yeah, we, I went to Peru, actually, when I was doing um, a World Challenge expedition. I don't know if you've heard. Yes. One of, it's like a sort of it's a glorified holiday, I suppose. But you go and do lots of camping and things. And um, a lot of people were really afraid of that flight. But at the time, I was so used to the. 14 hours or 12 hours, depending on, you know, how fast you got there, that it was absolutely fine. You know, I had my own routine, but yes, who knows? Maybe one day I'll, I'll work up the courage and also, yeah, the money to go, be able to go back. There is that. There is that. (laughs) Absolutely. How has COVID sort of affected, you know, um, your love of travel or your, you know, your relationship with, you know, your family abroad? Uh... I just feel intensely frustrated. I really, really miss them. This is, oh God, it sounds so princessy, but this is the first winter that I will have been here without going away. And I'm terrified. I'm really, really terrified. I really suffer from SAD syndrome, uh, pretty much from the moment that the clocks change and have to go round as soon as it gets dark. I light all the candles in the house and put on the fire. Um, because that's the right kind of warm light. But I'm terrified of January and February. I've always managed to avoid being here. Mm. Uh, no, it's just made me hungry for it. Sorry, oh. the dog. <laughs> Don't worry, I've got a yappy dog as well, but luckily they've gone out for a walk. So. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I, I wonder, because with COVID and us, it's been a bit, you know, we've got family in Germany and in Spain as well. And, um, it's been a bit tricky in terms of, you know, because both my grandparents, my two sets of grandparents are in those countries. And um, my, on my dad's side, especially, because uh, that's the Spanish side, all of like, him and his siblings, they're all in the UK, whereas, you know, their parents are obviously in Spain. So, and they need a lot of help um, uh, at home, generally. And Which they used to... Of Spain are they in? So they're in Valladolid in the north. Um <laughs> And uh, which I found out recently is also known as Fachadolith, and I had no idea, but it, (laughs) (laughs) yes, but um, someone told me, a friend of mine from Madrid said it's because it's mainly full of old people. And I was like, oh God, (laughs) maybe it's my grandmother then, I'm not sure. Um, But um, yeah, it's, so it's been quite tricky in terms of trying to get them over there to, to sort of look after them and then also um usually every summer we get my granddad over here to give him a break from looking after my my grandma because um she's just completely dementia ridden um and uh, well we 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 did get him over here we managed to and which was quite interesting considering you know all the restrictions and things but Mm -hmm. um yeah now we're just sort of planning christmas and how we're going to go about that because um it just it makes things really difficult because i don't suppose any of us anticipated anything like this especially when you you travel around so much you sort of take it for granted that you you know you can visit your grandma in Spain or you can go see your family in Peru well no I mean the fact I we haven't even tried to go anywhere like Spain or Morocco 
which places that I know were open and we could get to because actually the story of my brother just feel, fills me with so much fear. You don't know at what point suddenly the borders are going to shut and you're stuck. Um, and for him, it, it's been uh, nine months and I don't think he's going to be able to get back to Peru. It'll be at least a year since he closed his front door behind him and left. Um, which is so hard for anybody. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, yeah, really tricky. It is. I suppose um, for any sort of third culture kid, any sort of permanent mm. is slightly alarming, especially when it, there's no other options. Yes, yes. No, I feel, um, I feel that, that COVID, in a way, if you're settled and you have a partner and you're... That, I think that's all right. I think it's terribly, terribly hard for older people or people who have much older parents. Mm -hmm. um, I have thought often that I'm very glad that my parents aren't here to go through that. You know, of course, I would wish them around here. But the good side of it is that that's not a struggle that they have to have. But I think it's also incredibly hard for young people like you and, and my offspring as well, who actually it's so abnormal. You need, should be surrounded by people your age and all of that, all of that stimulation um, and groups of friends. It, it's tremendously hard. Do you have friends down there? Well, this is, I, I don't really. That's the other part of the problem. Because <laughs> uh, oh. I moved here... Um, yeah. I got a job about a month before lockdown happened. Right. And I thought, you know, which was sort of the, um, what, what was supposed to be my sort of upward traje trajectory, if I can say that word. Yeah. And, um, and then I, yeah, then lockdown happened. I got sacked and, um, and now I've been rehired luckily. So I'm sort of, I, I feel like, you know, I've, I've taken that time. I've sort of taken the 10 steps backwards almost, I suppose. And then have, having to start again and, um, but um, in some ways, it's actually been kind of good because it's given me time to sort of, you know, self-reflect and look inwards a bit more. And, um, and uh, yeah, and sort of, I mean, although my family, they, you know, there are times when it gets a bit tense, obviously, and there are times when, you know, you just want to start throwing the tables up in the air or whatever. Um, but it's been interesting. That must be your Latin side. I think so. I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I've got... It's, yeah, I've constantly got the Latin side and the German side sort of battling out from you know, the, the limelight. But um, no, it's been interesting to sort of reconnect as well, I think, with uh, my parents in a way that I don't think I, I would have done otherwise. I would have just, you yeah. know, gone off again. Um, I was just thinking, I mean, you look great in soft focus, but I bet you look really well as well if I had my glasses on. Sorry, I just rushed in from a dog walk soaking wet and oh, no. managed to get the computer and I haven't combed my hair and hold on I managed to make a ah. oh you look really well Sophia oh. <laughs> that's, that's very kind of you look very well too <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> I managed to make coffee because coffee basically holds my life together oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was going to ask as well um you've been to so many interesting countries I, I wondered whether you had a favorite that you'd been to favorite posting impossible question i think i have the it's like asking what's your favorite book um uh, 
favourite country? Uh, oh, my God. Or perhaps which one were you the most sad to leave? I love Morocco. Uh, to me, it's an absolute miracle that, um, that there is a place as crazy, as chaotic, as colourful, as mysterious, only three hours away by EasyJet. It's just absolutely mind-blowing. You know, I love India. I've loved the trips I've done to the Far East um, and uh, to the Americas. But in terms of being absolutely dumbfounded every time, I, there's something about Morocco. And it's so close. It's normally, I mean, there was one year where I actually managed to go five times. Actually, there was one wonderful time where I left Morocco, changed my suitcase overnight in the UK and headed off for Peru the next day and managed to do three continents in, <laughs> in three days, basically. Um, I think that's wonderful, but it's really hard because there's so much more of the world to see. Um, I have never been to South Africa. I'd love to go. Mm. So curious. Yeah. Um, no, so. South Africa would be an interesting place to go. I mean, I want mm. to go to, one place I do want to go to is Vietnam because a friend of mine's over there right now. And, right. Um, and uh, it just looks amazing, especially now that COVID's happened. She's gone to, on holiday to hotels and things and there's no one there, apparently. She just had the whole hotel to herself and these beautiful, stunning places and beautiful beaches. And um, um, because I've never been to Asia before. That's, that's something on my list that I'll need to do at some point, once I can get over my fear of flying. <laughs> <laughs> well, think of the end result, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, actually just getting there is just... We went to... I got engaged in Thailand when I was 25, and we were on COPP. And COPP at that point had not been discovered when we went round to the beach, which I think is called Beach Maya or something like that, uh, there, were, there was literally one other boat there. And we travel so much and I think we take it so much for granted. One of the wonderful things about COVID was just to see the planes disappear. And I realized that I'm an utter hypocrite um, because of course I want to keep traveling everywhere and seeing everything. I just don't want everyone else to be able to do it. I want to go, well, there's nobody else there. But at the moment, you know, I, for me personally, I just don't think, I don't know what it would be like to have to sit very close to other people I didn't know for 12 hours on a plane. Um, I just don't think it's worth doing. Mm -hmm. And then to have to quarantine and not be able to quarantine with my family when I got to the other end because I'd have to protect them from potential COVID. At the moment, there's just not an incentive, but I miss it desperately. I really do. So were you able to um, uh, quarantine or lock down with like, your, your children? And They all came home. There was no big argument. Everyone got on really well. I thought it was a, a, a bit, it was a miracle, really. I never ex expected that my kids who were launched and in their 20s would be back and under the same roof. Um, it was just, just fabulous. I loved it. 
I loved it. Oh my it. goodness. God, what's your secret? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Maya can make a party out of nothing. And she would, she would go, right, boys. Something that always irritates them. Right, boys, tonight we're going to pretend that we're at a bar. And I'd, <laughs> I'd come down and Oscar would be the bouncer at the door and, you know, to... He would check our IDs. Sorry, you can't come in without IDs. Sorry, no, no. Uh, and then Jago would be mixing the cocktails and Maya would be there. And it was just such fun. Um, so, and there was another time that we went on holiday. We were all somewhere in the Caribbean and had to turn up in our swimsuits and with our beach towels. And oh, <laughs> it, was, it was just really fun. And everybody could just retreat, and when people needed space, they just took it. But it was it was really, really lovely. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, there was one hilarious evening where they all donned fat suits. I think fat suits that'll make you laugh. <laughs> if nothing else, a fat suit yeah. is the way. <laughs> yes, it's the way forward. <laughs> I'll have to make a note of that actually, just in yeah. case there's another lockdown. I have to get one of those. Yeah, fat suits, purple fat suits. <laughs> What do you do for a living? Uh, I was a jeweller. Uh, I also have, I do gardens occasionally for people, but that is mainly my pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I used to work in graphics. Uh, I used to do some translating. I've done, I've done a, a mixture of things. Um, I think I've always felt like a massive fraud. Um, I always felt um, it, it, okay, this, this really does go back to the third culture thing. Now, when I was growing up, and it was before it was uh, talked about, really. Um, so before it was a recognized uh, syndrome or, or, or um, uh, whatever. Um, uh, I, I, we were mainly living in Ecuador and in, I was at university in England and we were living in Ecuador. And at university, I dressed out of all the vintage stores or secondhand stores like all the other students did. I disguised my public school accent with an American accent so that I could go to all the gigs um, because that's what I really liked doing. But actually, it was just not a thing the public school girls did. Um, and in fact, recently, I bumped into a friend who I had shared a house with for a couple of years in Brixton uh, after, after I left university. And he said, I can't get over your accent. It's so plummy. And uh, I remember you with an American accent, which of course, you know, my husband thought, really into American accent? Never. Um, but I felt, I felt uh, like a, a fraud there or trying to fit in to do what I wanted to do. And then we'd go back to Ecuador where, um, you know, uh, we would be having dinner parties, you'll recognize this, and drinks parties with ministers. Um, And I had a totally different way of being, of talking, of thinking of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
you know, the the uh, embassy cars would come and pick us up and to go to parties. And my job there, when I had a job, uh, was to work in the Peruvian. Peru and Ecuador had just had a war, and they needed someone with a Peruvian passport as a receptionist. And the ambassador was a really dear friend of my mother's. And in fact, we've continued the friendships down the generations. So now my my daughter and his grandson are enormous friends. And I'm really good friends with Nacho, who's back in Ecuador now, mm -hmm. for representing Peru. And um, uh, I, I just, I always felt like a fraud. I felt I was too square for university and just too wild for, I, I'd never felt really anything. And I think I just spent a hell of a lot of time when I started work, um, just trying to find something uh, that was kind of me. I did a bit of translating, that was fun. I went to work for uh, a, couture, a couture company uh, and then worked a bit in fashion and then went and retrained as a graphic designer um, and then have made jewellery um, and love doing gardens. Um, yes, I'm sort of, mm, yeah. No, I really, I really recognise that sort of... Um, uh, the way in which you sort of manage your personality amongst the different circles that you find yourself in or um and having to yeah be on your best behavior or you know behave in a certain way in front of you know uh, your parents colleagues or friends or ministers and then you know at school having a sort of different um or at university having a different sort of life um i actually remember at boarding school having a um I didn't. I had a bit of a tough time at boarding school at one point. Um, I think. Look, yeah, it was. Um, it was a bit stressful, and I remember one of my teachers saying, "Oh, maybe it's because you're you're too mature at the moment." I I didn't think it was that, and I thought that was putting too much pressure on me to be a bit more uh, demure or to follow the rules more. And um, when actually, I think I was just struggling with these different parts of my personality because I couldn't understand why. You know, I could be completely myself in front of my parents and my sisters, but then I had to be a certain way at those dinner parties. And then I, ha I, all of a sudden I was a different way automatically when I was around my friends or at school. So, um, and I think still to this day, I'm sort of negotiating those different parts of myself, but slowly and slowly, they're coming closer and closer together. I'm, I'm happy to say. Yes, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's an, oh, sorry, I'm just going to stop the beeping. That's all right. <laughs> sorry, otherwise you'd have it on your tape the whole time and it's incredibly <laughs> irritating. It's funny, um, it's, for me it's quite interesting because now obviously I have a daughter who's about your age. I feel that she's so much further along in terms of uh, resolving any identity issues because you know she stand started with a good base level she she knows what she is and who she is and um it's rather like um children with bilingual parents uh take longer to learn to speak i think it takes us much longer to find where we were where we're where our roots are or or to put down roots with with um, 
sort of our family hit a real crisis about 10 years ago when my parents died because my parents were from two different cultures and they had one of those marriages, you know, the marriage that everyone aspires to. I think they worked very hard at it because they knew that they would have to make compromises for each other coming from two different cultures. Um, and, but then we weren't just third culture kids because we didn't just grow up in one place. We grew up in so many different places that our roots became our parents. And when they died 10 years ago, within three months of each other, I think for all three of us siblings, it set off massive existential crises, massive, enormous, you know, where, where did we want to live? Where did we belong? Um, where were our roots? And for me, it certainly made me pick up all of the relationships with my cousins and my siblings, my cousins, sorry, my cousins, and bring them really close to me. I needed them so much. And my Peruvian aunt, who felt just like my mother when I hugged her and would give me the same sort of advice, like, sit up straight, Belindita, take your fringe out of your eyes. You know, those things that used to annoy me so much when my mother would say them to me. And I suddenly realized that all they were was love, actually. So I, more, more, mass, por favor. Um, so, um, yeah, really, it's, it's, it's a funny thing. Sorry, so you were asking what I do for my living. I think if I had found the one thing that I wanted to do in a way that would have been easier, but it was different bits for just trying to make the jigsaw puzzle work and it never really quite did. Mm. And even now, I struggle at times. Mm. No, yeah. it's it's a. I suppose when you're because with um, people who have similar backgrounds to us, I often uh, find that there is a particular path that um, I'm not sure if it, whether it's expected or whether it just happens to be that um, lots of um, kids then grow up to go into you know um, international. Um, uh, matters whether that's law or working for the like European Commission or you know these these big establishments and um, I, I think sometimes I find myself sort of going oh well I'm not doing that am I doing am I doing this thing wrong <laughs> am I not doing the third culture thing correctly um, but I wonder if that's also to do with the fact that nowadays we have a lot more of we know what everyone's up to that you know you haven't seen for years and years and years because of social media and things yeah. and I mean, as they say, comparison is the thief of all joy. But I, it is an interesting, um, uh, I, to me, it's interesting to see how many people in, from our background sort of filter into this, that, that sort of life. And, um, but I suppose they've got all the different skills and, you know, with languages and, and knowledge of different countries and how they operate. Well, I think also, I think, I think the thing is, and I, I don't know whether you feel the same, um, is that you you look for your tribe and actually when you're a third culture kid it's tremendously hard to find um i have never felt as foreign as living in a small town outside london um i sort of i would love to go back to london 
um, at least part of the time, just because it's full of so many international people. And here it's uh, very English and everyone's white and English and, and speaks one language and thinks in one way. Um, so I, I find that quite tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, yeah, so I, I manage that balance by traveling a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's the same here. Um, so I'm, I'm in Wiltshire right now. And um, I remember every time I'd come to visit my parents while I was living in London, I'd say, but they're just, there's all the same colored faces. They're just, they, they all look the same. They all dress the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now parents choose there because I mean do they not feel foreign there what is it about that place that calls to them um that is a good question I've never really asked them I mean I wonder if it's to do with the um the countryside because we live quite close to the country so um you know they feel more at home amongst you know in in sort of countrysides as opposed to towns and cities because that's where we've spent a lot of our time actually and uh, major capital cities across the world um and uh but no i mean i think it's interesting because both my parents so my mum's german and my dad's half spanish half english um but they my dad fully assimilated the english culture and um he still speaks spanish and you know um he feels at home there but um yeah and then my mum i think is the same she really took it on board but i think now we we're all struggling with our identities a bit more just because of things like you know brexit and you know what's going on in the world generally and um, it's all quite conflicted but i think it was because it was quite quiet compared to how busy their life had been and um when when actually i think i've i've discovered the hard way that that's what i like i like the busyness and i i quite like the city and i need to be around lots of people and i get you know worried if i there's no one on the street and though there are no cars i think what's happened has something gone on and you know so you know with the with with lockdown that was really unsettling you know driving Mm. along the road there's no one around it was like you know an apocalypse or something but um but here it could be a Sunday afternoon. It <laughs> really could. So um, it's really I strange. remember when we first moved out of, of London, uh, my children said that they were really quite traumatised because they missed the sound of police cars and fire engines and all they could hear was the panting of joggers. I just remember that phrase. <laughs> it was just kind of the things that freak my kids out. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's true though. It's the, it's the, it's the silence. I, it took me a couple of months when I first got here to be able to sleep properly because it was so quiet, and I just it, it really unsettled me. Um, mm. But I mean, I can sleep now. I'm happy to report. But <laughs> it's it's interesting when um, I could do that. I, for me, the ideal is is to have the contrast. I mean, we were recently in the Black Mountains near the Brecon Beacons, ah, so beautiful. And of course, my father was a mountaineer. Um, so he, we spend all our time walking up mountains and I, it still fills me with such joy. And we have got a goddaughter who lives out there in a beautiful Elizabethan house. And I just thought I could do this. I could really do this, but only if I have a small pied-à-terre right in the centre of London. And in fact, I think I'd end up spending quite a lot of time in London because 
you know, if you're in London, you have all the galleries, you have the talks, the lectures, the films, the, you know, there's so much. You could never be bored. On the other hand, I do like the contrast of being able to open the door and walk straight up a mountain. Yeah. I think, I think Brexit is, is a really uncomfortable one for third culture kids because of, uh, I, I just, I've never felt more foreign and, and less English than to live in a country that actually seems to have voted to close its borders and to keep people on the outside. You know, what that does to people like me or you is just incredibly painful. It's a rejection, actually. Um, I found it enormously hard. Mm. I feel really excited about it. Mm. I mean, I don't know if you can still, I mean, do you remember how you felt on the, on the day you found out? I still do. It was like when I found out that Trump had won, it was this kind of appalled disbelief. And I know people who voted uh, Brexit. They're either incredibly, uh, advantaged and well connected in this country and have a lot to protect um or uh no actually i'm going to say some incredibly some things i probably or just you know who didn't read people who didn't read beyond the headlines mm. and and it just makes me so sad mm. um because i as far as i'm concerned the more mixing the better it is for everybody Mm, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I remember because um, I had to come. I was registered in in um, in Wiltshire for to for the vote. That is, and um, and going back, I was on the bus back to my flat in London, and um, I saw this guy wearing a um, an Italian flag sort of scarf around him and a, and a hat and everything, and being sort of very proud. And as he, you know, is it fully entitled to and should be but I had this feeling all of a sudden that oh my god I hope no one you know attacks him or hurts him or and it was um and that's when I really realized just how um how scary it was actually and how damaging the whole thing has been it's been incredibly damaging I, I feel so sad and uh I think all the signs were there for people who wanted who took the time to read beyond the headlines and think through the consequences and and i i just think for the economy to be hit by covid and then brexit i think it's i think it's sort of criminal negligence frankly Mm. um or just plain criminal yes plain criminal Mm. i think that's you've put it there (laughs) put it correctly there um and i wonder now that you know we are living in this sort of Brexit, <laughs> Brexit land, <laughs> and um, COVID's happened and everything. Um, how does that ref- um, affect how you sort of define yourself as a as a travelling child <laughs> and then growing in your adult life? I, I, like I said, I actually felt tremendously rejected, and I feel I I've, I felt it very very personally, not immediately um it's it's uh this isn't this isn't a britain i recognize Mm. it's really not i find it oh no sort of i it it feels a bit like a kick in the stomach um it's a very 
personal rejection by one of the countries that I have felt is mine. Yeah, a very, very personal rejection from, a, from one of my countries, one of my really important countries. Do you think it hurts even more because you, you chose to live in the country as well? Yes, yes. Um, this, this really isn't... The, the things that I thought about for England, for Britain, outward-looking, um, uh, and, and perhaps this is because I'd spent so much time living in a city, um, I felt uh, outward-looking, international, willing to embrace people of all cultures. Um, and perhaps uh, punching way above its weight on the world stage, um, partly because of its history. Mm -hmm. and, um, and this sort of... Uh, sort of... Uh, almost caricature of, of, of Britishness um, that there is now and the inward looking and the xenophobia. Um, none of that was what I thought a my UK was about. Um, and it's, uh, I think, uh, a massive disappointment and disillusion um, it's too late to do anything about it. I do feel that we were railroaded into it. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, yeah, a sort of a, a real disillusion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Would you ever consider um, moving anywhere else um, um, as a result? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yes, I think I, I, there's still so much I love about it, but I would definitely think about having solidifying my roots elsewhere as well mm -hmm. um which was something i'd never thought about before because i always thought i wanted to keep traveling so to have a second home uh, in a way sort of uh, it just didn't make sense um i didn't necessarily want that responsibility but now i feel yeah yeah and yet there isn't anywhere that i feel that my roots are strongly mm -hmm. enough um, I love Peru so much, but I have my family there and, and it's to go back to my family really more than anything. So I suppose, um, it's, for me, it's about people rather than places mm -hmm. and it's about the paintings rather than the houses and, uh, the things that I'm carrying with me everywhere and the people I'm carrying with me everywhere. Do you well, feel the same? I, I do actually. And you know that is the one thing I remember from our conversation about, about a year ago now um, when you said it's the paintings on the wall and that was a sort of a light bulb moment for me and I, I really agree with that and you know I actually went back and I told my sister straight away and I was like you'll never guess what she just said isn't she right and she said yes oh my god it is it really is and well, yeah, you don't all want the same paintings oh yeah <laughs> That's a good point, actually. I should yeah. start making <laughs> pencil marks on the back of them. Write notes when they're in a really good mood with you. I wondered if there's anything you would like to plug or promote today. Hmm. Um, oh. Um, okay. Uh, what would I like to? Oh. 
I have really enjoyed reading uh, the new uh, David Mitchell book called Utopia Avenue, which is about a 1970s rock band. He writes beautifully, and I have so enjoyed that. And in the middle of lockdown, having a... Oh, I really enjoyed Girl, Woman, Other as well. Have you read that? Oh, that was brilliant. I, I read it so quickly as well. I couldn't it, put it down. It was just having really vivid people at a time where everything's locked down. Have you ever read A Suitable Boy, the actual book? No, no, I haven't. And if they've done... That would be my Desert Island Disc book because it's so full of people and the and really, again, vividly drawn characters and the relationship between the mother and daughter, I read it when I was about 26, was one that I really identified with, sort of slightly cross-cultural, sort mm. of... Um, mm. Yeah. Um, uh, Engrenage. Uh, or Spiral, I think. That box set is just fabulous. Um, oh, if I'm allowed to promote something, my dear friend Modeste Hughes um, has just released an album of Madagascan music. He played at my father's funeral. He self-taught guitarist whose first... He made, had to make his first guitar and it, had a, it was made out of fishing line. Um, and he's just, oh, oh, beautiful. You can get that on Spotify. So that's book. Uh, oh, film. Um, oh, I've seen loads recently. Uh, can't think of one that jumps out at me. Well, you've given... But you uh, do Renard. You'll love it. <laughs> I'll have to look those up, actually. I've made a note of those. And... Um, well, there's nothing left to say. Then, well, thank you so much for joining me I'd today. I'd like to keep in touch. I'd like to know how it goes for you. I think, yes, it's that thing, third culture kids. It takes us so much longer to find ourselves in the same way that if you're multilingual, it takes you longer to actually start speaking as a small child. So, um, yeah, no, it would be nice to stay in touch. And when we can, we should go for a coffee face to face, actually in person. That'd be nice. Colombian coffee. The oh. best coffee I ever had was in Villa de Leyva. The best coffee. And we're back. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Um, if I'm honest, I was quite nervous before chatting to Belinda. Equally excited, of course. Um, and I think it might have been because the conversation that I had with Belinda when we first met about a year ago now, I think was the seed that actually got me here right now to where I am, like sitting in my wardrobe, speaking into this microphone and then into your speakers and headphones. So um, thank you, Belinda. And uh, I'm going to ask you guys now to please like and rate, review, subscribe to everything we are on. You're probably listening to this on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts. So um, yeah, just just tap the little rate thing. Give us five stars um, if you if you please. Uh, leave us a little comment as well. Uh, say hi. Or if you're not fond of saying things with words, you could always leave an emoji or two. Uh, leave a string of hieroglyphics for me to decipher and interpret. Um, 
And if you want to keep up to date with all things floaters, give us a follow on Instagram. Because we're on Instagram. Yes, we are Inst. That's why, ladies and gentlemen, I do not have a music career. Uh, we are at floaters underscore podcast if you want to follow us on Instagram. Thank you again to Belinda. Thanks, as always, to Aral for his sound help. You can check out um, his website at aralbar.com. That'll all be in the show notes as well. Um, and um, thank you to Adora Saludo as well for help with social media, graphics. And thank you to you, dear listener. Out of the thousands of podcasts out there, you, you actually chose this one. So um, cheers for that. Thank you. Until next time, bye-bye.